Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Ecker, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. Hello and welcome to Core Truth. Mark Follett here with Rudy Eckhart. Today we're going to discuss a question. Is there such a thing as emotional genetics? We've spoken before on the show about the ability for you to create your physical body and any issues that you have with your physical body are as an effect of negative emotions and feelings. And we've spoken about the fact that your fears are formed in your childhood through an interaction with your parents. So today we're going to link those two concepts together and we're going to talk about the link between your family's emotions and issues and problems and feelings and fears and the physical genetics that exist within your body. So Rudy, do you want to first of all explain what you what you sort of um, couch this term emotional genetics and what how, how you see it? Okay. Um, emotional genetics is obviously coined from physical genetics mm-hmm. and there's now a term called epigenetics and which we also need to explain. But emotional genetics comes from the realization is that the emotional issues in families has passed on from generation to generation. And with it, the physical symptomatology, which is often in the form of sickness or uh, skin conditions or um, even cancer, that is then a physical representation of what is passed on from family to family. Now, traditional medical thinking is is that all illnesses are part of a physical genetic passing on of genetic coding, which makes you susceptible to these diseases. But what is not recognized that each of these individuals that have the illness um, also have emotional characteristics related to their fears and insecurities which are also very typical in relation to that illness. Mm. So it's almost like they they match, and that's why we're going to draw a parallel today between the emotional issues that exist within a family, the the fears and insecurities that exist within the family, and the physical genetics, if you like, and the way that that um, emotional expression affects the physical expression of the body as it's passed down through the different generations of a particular family. Yeah. Yeah, but also to, to, to understand just the effect of emotional genetics, that um, you obviously can have families where, there are no, where there's no illness, mm-hmm. but emotional genetics still apply. Yes. Where uh, issues and problems are passed on from generation to generation. You get depression in families passed on from, from family member, from mother and father to children, and children then becoming parents and then having children and passing it on to them. Um, there's many um, what you might call triggers for the metaphorical relationships that exist between the mind and the body. 
And that's where epigenetics, uh, I think, um, play a huge role because epigenetics was a, was a terminology that was coined by a researcher who discovered that there were influences that could cause the genetic structure to change. And these influences were from outside, hence the word epi. Yeah, so you have, you have a set of generic genetics that you're born with, but whether those genes for cancer or the genes for an autoimmune disease are switched on or off is dependent on external factors. Or created. Or created. Mm-hmm. So, so your, your genetic makeup can change to become susceptible to diseases like cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, the exact nature or the exact way that works uh, on a biological level, I am not smart enough and educated enough in that area to be able to tell you that. And I think it's it, the, the technology, well, how would I say it, the technical understanding is probably not as important as being sure of the effect. Or, or the question of why. Well, the question of why is seriously important <laughs> because if you understand why, then you then um, how doesn't matter as much as you might think. Mm. Because if you can stop the why, then the how doesn't really matter. Because the, the flip side of this is that if you, and we're talking about the why being a fear, if the if the reason why you are, have a family with these issues that are passed down is because of their fears and insecurities, and that is the why, and you can remove the why, then you're also going to be removing that physical issue from the family tree at the same time. Yeah. That's the flip side of this is understanding that there's a link means that you can potentially solve some of the problems associated yeah. with that link. It all, dep- it all depends whether that genetic code has been already expressed into the illness. It depends on how far the illness has gone. Uh, it, it depends on various things where you can actually um, – Stop something like this midstream, if you like, when it's already in progress. You're That's talking I mean. about in an individual, but I'm saying that you know, if you have children, you can work on yourself, work with your children to to sort of stop it in its tracks for in your generation yeah. potentially, and not have it passed down in the next three or four yeah. generations. Many of my clients, and most often female clients that I have, uh, become acutely aware of this when they start working on themselves. They begin to realise that because their issues were passed on to them by their parents, that potentially they will pass it on to their children if they have them. And it's not even potentially because if they have the issue, they will pass it on. Yeah. And it's almost inevitable. Um, um, or if they haven't had children as yet, that they think, when I become a mother, I don't want to be the mother my mother was to me. Yeah, I think that's a common um, sentiment with people, isn't it? That yeah. they don't, especially people that have had a a, a, a childhood that they remember that it, that they consider to be negative, and they realise they don't want that for their children. But in some cases, people have the realisation that despite their best efforts, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, even the people that that are aware that they had terrible parents and that their childhood um, didn't live up to the expectations of what a childhood should be. With that realization, they try very hard not to be uh, like their parents. Let's say, uh, can I give an example? Please, yeah. Yeah, that I can think of. Um, let's say that a parent was, that the parent grew up in their childhood with a lot of restrictions, control over their lives, and so they felt very hamstrung and 
um, they still feel angry and resentful perhaps or um, victimized by these strong restrictions and interrogating and disciplinary behavior that their parents imposed on them. So they think, I will never do that to my children. So instead of that, they give their children complete freedom. They can do what they want, have what they want. They don't, they don't restrict their behavior. They don't insert any discipline in their life. And so those children go off the rails. They have no structure. They have no structure. They have no self-control. They have no direction. They have no um, consideration for other people. They're by, by the fact that they never have to exercise any self-control, uh, turn out to be selfish and self-centered. And the consequence of that is, is that they will then encounter issues and problems in their life because their behavior will not be acceptable to others. And then when they have children, what would you think would be that next generation for, for a person that's that's grown up under right. circumstances where they don't have that self-control? And it's, Well, it can go both ways. Mm. But what will happen, it will resonate through the generations mm-hmm. because if they... If they have no self-control um, or feel that they have no control over their life, which is how it can go. So by having no self-control, you can't exert control. Mm-hmm. And so things become random. You don't know where the boundaries are. You don't know where what the rules are of life, if you like. You don't know what the rules are in relationships. You don't know how to get to a particular goal. You are, you are neither supported nor rejected because for a parent like that, who was never supported in anything, cannot actually give you the positives either. So don't think that a person who allows their children total freedom has the capacity to insert positive aspects like self-discipline, direction in that child's life Mm. because they were never given that either because all they did is obey somebody and live life according to their rules, which is not the same as learning to grow up to be a self-responsible person. So these children grow up with no self-responsibility and no responsibility towards others. Mm. So this having no control over their life can make them actually very controlling. Mm. Because they, they have to feel like they have a sense of control by controlling the little things in their life, by controlling the people that are in their life, because they feel that there's external influences over which they have no control that's, that's actually really in control of them and what happens to them and what they're going to experience in life and what their future is going to bring. They actually have no trust. So when they have children, they could still be controlling mm. over their children to to because their children will then become or feel like unpredictable individuals that they need to control. They need to control their needs, the expectations that their children have of them, um, what their children expect from them because these are the things that challenge them because they never had expectations placed on them as as children themselves. Mm. They never had responsibilities placed on them as children themselves. So these are the things that they don't want. So they become controlling over their children in order to escape those responsibilities and those needs Mm. and those expectations. So it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, So by acting opposite to your parents, you're not solving the problem. No, you're almost just avoiding the behaviours that your parents 
had that you didn't approve of and swapping them for a different set of behaviours that end up causing different emotional issues in your own children. Basically, yeah, because they're both born out of fear. The fear, uh, first you learn to fear uh, yourself through your parents. In How do I explain this? Um, when your parents control every aspect of you, then you don't trust yourself. You don't learn that. You don't learn to take be responsible. You learn to depend on other people rather than yourself, right? So these are then things that you cannot give your children because they don't even exist within you. Mm. And then if you then decide that you're not going to be like your parent, then you have nothing to offer. There's nothing you're teaching your children. And because you lack the self-confidence and self-trust to be a guiding, mentoring, teaching, responsible parent who teaches all those things. Mm. And then the, the, the child that grew up and had the, the child who's overbearing and over-controlling of the child, it's very hard to interact with a baby in trying to control its every its every move and, and try and put restrictions in place so that a baby conforms. And I think that's where you get things like um, controlled crying where you have to try and control the kid so it sleeps in particular patterns and it poos at particular times and it's got particular routines that it must fit into and yeah. it has to behave in certain ways. Even as a baby, it just wants to be a baby, express itself, and and then the baby's going to start picking up. So you can see how through all those generations and then that, that child has a grows up, has a baby, and then these things begin again. It starts all over again. It starts all over yeah. again in the new generation. So yeah. A person who's controlling is confronted with a crying child, a crying baby who has something that is crying about and cannot stop the crying if that person has control issues because they want to be in control and they cannot control that child crying, they will become angry mm -hmm. and they'll see the child as the reason and the cause. And the child will pick up on that and believe it's and the reason. And experience it as rejection. Yes. And, and be intimidated and fearful and probably cry a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah. and, and this whole cycle of, of uh, family emotional issues begins again, doesn't it? Because yeah. then the child that's growing up as that baby then will grow up with its own issues and problems as a result of Well, that. that child will either grow up to be passive, compliant, fearful and afraid or become aggressive, confronting, dominating and controlling like... Like the parent. Like the parent. Mm. Because if it's rendered powerless and made to feel helpless and made to feel it has no power or control, right... It will either accept it as a truth or it will employ and, and thereby avoid any situation that could confront it or it will employ strategies that it was exposed to by strategically behaving in a way to get the power. By being over-controlling. By being over-controlling, just like the parent was. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really good uh, example given there in terms of how family issues and problems can work their way down through different generations. We talked about four generations there and how that actually plays out. But I'd like to tie that now to an example maybe you could give where that is linked to particular genetic um, expression through the different families. I, I don't know if, if an example would be something like asthma or skin issues or even breast cancer. I no, can I'm, see that I'm actually going to go to something that's now relatively common. Okay. <clears throat> and just called... IBS, mm -hmm. irritable bowel syndrome, yes. right, which um, uh, is now being treated in various ways with um, and with antibiotics, with gut bacteria, um, mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, introductions and it's diets and co- stuff like that. Colonic irrigation. Yeah, and you name with it. Coffee. You name it. There's a million and one things you can do to you can do to the bowel to supposedly get rid of this issue. But what is totally clear to me with the number of clients that I've had and worked with is that it is distinctly an emotional issue. Irritable bowel syndrome is caused by the fear of having to internalize, deal with, and experience negative emotional events or confrontations or experiences in your life. So it's a suppression of your um, feelings and emotions about an event or about an event in your life, or is that what you're saying? Yeah. You actually, it's actually from internalizing and suppressing your feelings instead of living through them and expressing them. No, it, I, I wouldn't quite put it like that. It's it's not about suppressing feelings. It's about um, anticipating that anything you experience that is really negative is too much for you to deal with, to digest, inverted commas. To, to cope with. To cope with, mm. right? Because it kind of, the, the whole process of um, living life can be metaphorically related to the way we eat. And I could expand on that if you like. Sure. Um, so when we eat, we, um, first of all, smell, taste, swallow, digest. When we get to the stomach, we still have a, an opportunity to reject and eject the food from our body mm-hmm. if it's not what we, what is good for us. Right? When it gives us a bad squirmy feeling, the body reacts and you can throw it up. Once it gets past the bowel though, and it gets into the gut, you're stuck with it. Mm-hmm. It will no longer come up. Can be ejected in a different way. But by that time, you've already been affected by it. That's true. Right? So, so you're then already consuming it, if you like. You're, you're absorbing everything that is in that food into your body. Living life is somewhat a similar process and it might not sound the same, but it actually is. Um, you, your mind needs, oh no, sorry, your body needs food in order to survive, grow and sustain itself. Your mind needs emotional experiences, needs emotional stimulation, needs the stimulation from the environment in order to grow, expand, and sustain its, what you might call its sanity. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Because without any emotional experiences, if we were to be totally isolated, we'd probably go insane. So we, we've talked about purpose on the show before, and I think that's what you're getting at there, is that the you need to feel at an emotional level like there's purpose in there's experience. But these are, all, these are all aspects that come with it rather than that, you, that you're – intended to have meaning and purpose by experiencing life. But you need to experience life, first of all, to feel alive, Mm -hmm. to feel that you exist, to feel that you are a human being. You need to have an experience of something in order to have that experience. Just like you to measure it against. Well, just like your body needs to have the needs to feel something, touch something in order to be aware of itself. Does that make sense? Yes, to be aware that it has a sense of touch. It needs to touch no, to, something. 
deeper than that, that it even exists. If you were in a suspended space, right, say that they've done experiments like this where you're hanging in a, in, a, in, a, in a fluid which is the same temperature as your body, you don't have an, even have a physical sense of yourself. You'd have to touch yourself. To You'd have it. to touch yeah. something in order to get the sense that you have a body. Mm-hmm. So we need interaction in order to have a sense of beingness, mm-hmm. right? So our mind needs this interaction in order to have a sense of emotional beingness, an emotional sense of itself, a sense of the ego or the id or the sense of self. Now, our experiences do this for us, right? Our our life experiences generally gives us a a sense of self-beingness on an emotional level. But if you have fear that you cannot cope and deal with with negative emotional experiences, that you fear the emotions that come with that if they're negative, you fear that those emotions will control you, overwhelm you, that they will be too much for you, that they put you in in thoughts that are extremely negative. It makes you feel abandoned, deserted, lonely, uh, unacceptable, undesirable, unlovable, all those things, but in a greater level of intensity. So you almost feel like you're going to go into this spiral of emotions that you can't get yourself out of and you fear going into that place. So you, you then try to avoid any negative emotional experiences. So you, you don't want to be confronted. You don't want to deal with things. And you're in a constant state of stress that because you have to live your life, you have to go to work, you have to deal with the person behind the counter, you have to cross the road, you know, you have to deal with traffic if you're driving, that anything can happen that will just be too much for you. And this, this, the, it's not just that it will happen, it's that when it happens and you have to deal with it, that you can't. It is like you swallow the food, it's in your gut, now you've got to assimilate it. It's like now you've got to assimilate the negative experience, you kind of got to live with it, right? It's at that point that you become really, really stressed. Mm-hmm. It's like all of your vulnerabilities come to the surface at once. And your the idea that you can survive this doesn't seem to be there. It's more like, I will not survive this. I cannot overcome this. It will dominate and control my life. I have nowhere else to go. And it's it's almost like a, an emotional trap that you cannot escape from. Mm. And there's, there's a great fear and anxiety and stress, as you said, about panic. falling into that trap, even panic. Yeah. And so you're saying that that panic, that anxiety and stress that is caused through that reaction okay. is, is associated with the irritable bowel, bowel syndrome, syndrome in okay. your... Okay, now we've kind of explained that, right? So now we take it to another place. We're going to say we have a mother like this or a father like this, and you're the child. And your your mother or father or both, but likely just one, um, everything that is happening, everything that, um, that looks like it might go wrong, anything that has the potential for failure, anything that might become a rejection, create aggression, conflict, creates panic and anxiety in your parent. So automatically as a child, you begin to fear. Because if your parent fears it, there must be something to fear. If your parent gets panicked about it, there must be something to panic about. Even though you can't see it. Even though you can't see it, and even though you don't even experience it directly. Mm-hmm. And so you begin to become suspicious, distrusting, and fearful of your environment. You begin to fear the same things your mother fears or your father fears. I think there's actually a disconnection occurs at that point between 
it's essentially a mistrust of your own physical body and its senses because your mind is telling you that there is something to be stressed and anxious about because your parents are stressed and anxious, mm -hmm. but you're not receiving any physical feedback from your body that is telling you the existence of that stress in your... No, it's not true, actually. And then you, then you, lose, a, you lose a connection with your body. You say, why is my body not telling me something that I no, need no, to be true? No, no, it's not what happens, Mark. Okay. Um, what happens is that the moment you feel fear, your body reacts. It cannot help itself. Yes. Because basically your body's a bit dumb. Yeah, it, it does, can't, it does it, react. It can't tell the difference between a real fear and an illusionary fear. But your body has methods of reacting to stress when it is something that is physical. Yeah. But in this particular instance we're talking about, your body doesn't have a, an appropriate response. It's an illusion. Because there's an, it's an illusionary thing. No, but it still has a response. Oh, it has a response, but so, I'm saying that you in, end up disconnecting your physical body and, and what no, your physical No, you're actually doing not. Actually, you're mind. connecting with your physical body. I'm sorry, I, I have to disagree with you. Mm. Your, your, your fear triggers the same fears that you would have if there was a physical threat. And so you're having the same physical experience as if there were a physical threat, which unfortunately makes the illusionary threat feel real because your body gives evidence of the fear. Yes, but because there is nothing to react to, your body has this false reaction to... It is a false reaction, but it is a reaction that confirms for you that it is real. Mm -hmm. The illusion of reality, if you like. Yes. Like, you're talking about a child. We're not talking about an adult here. Yeah. We're but talking about a same, child. I think it's the same for adults. If you, if, if you, you find that a lot of the times people talk about chronic stress, and that's basically people that have fears and insecurities that cause them to feel stressed all the time, but there is actually nothing physical that's causing them to be stressed. So their body is stressed physically and it's ready to fight flight. Yeah, there but is actually, yeah. there's actually no interaction that is causing. Okay. You that. need to take the word physical out of your dialogue because you, if you start, if there's nothing physical to be stressed about, then the, the threat you're talking about has to be a physical one. Right? That, the stress is, is by the person in the person's mind, right? The stress is real. If you have a dream, that's a nightmare. You can wake up in a sweat. You can wake up in shock, right? Nothing actually has physically happened to you. That's very It's all happened in your mind, yeah. right? But your body is reacting. You're in sweat. Your heart is palpitating. Your, your blood is rushing. And it is a real fear about an illusionary thing. Yes. So it doesn't matter whether it is a real threat or a physical threat. The trouble is that the mind, the, 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 the mind at that point in time of a child cannot discern whether that threat is real or not, but it assumes that it's real because the mother is, is experiencing this anxiety and stress. Yes. So the child assumes there must be something to be afraid of. When it feels the fear in empathy, to what the mother is, is um, what do you call it, uh, the, the fear the mother's displaying, right? Then it has the same physical experience as the mother has and builds on that. So it's not just one thing. We're talking about people who constantly do this right throughout the day, constantly display various levels of insecurity and fear, self-doubt, distrust, suspicion, throughout every aspect of, or every every hour of their day in the presence of their child. Yeah, and I think a lot of our listeners would probably understand this as the little voice in their head that tells them negative things. 
that that, are, that questions them all the time. I, I've I've dealt with a lot of people that have that experience where they've always got this constant self doubt. It's almost like a voice in their head that says, "Why are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. That's that's the wrong thing to do. Are you sure this isn't going to be a problem?" You know, it's almost like this monkey chatter that goes on in the head, and it causes yeah. a chronic stress reaction. Um, and I guess the point I was getting at before is to discern, which is pretty much agreeing with you in some respects, is that to discern something that is an imaginary threat from if someone wields a knife at you and you have to run away and your body pumps adrenaline and gives you the response that you need to actually get away, yeah. then there is a response that your body can have physically to run away that is appropriate for that situation. Yeah. But as a ba- as a child, then you get stressed and you get this adrenaline pumping, but there is no physical outlet for that. There is nothing to react to on a physical level. You, you kind of have a false reaction. Yeah, just the, 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 you, you get the, the child develops fears for which it later on finds evidence. Yeah, that's true. Right? Because then it will, um, once it starts off having those fears, um, it will have experiences in which which are then real experiences, right? Somebody's yelling at it or there's conflict or um, there are then events and, and situations in which fear is then it finds evidence in the situation itself. So in being yelled at, in being criticized, in being judged, in being rejected, or um, if the mother reacts overwhelming to a particular situation the child will fear that say the mother is confronted whenever the mother's confronted with responsibility she feels she can't cope because it's too much for her which really has to do with the fear of failure and her fear of her own inadequacies um and the child picks up on that and it starts to emulate because it thinks if I have to be responsible for something, it will be too much for me. If it's too much for a mother, it must be too much for me. Mm. If it if it's if it makes my mother panic like that, then I'd better be worried because I won't be able to cope with that same situation. Yeah. Because she's bigger and she's been around a lot longer right. than I have. So that child grows up and also develops irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> and then they act like this in the presence of their children and the same thing is just carried forward. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty evidential. I mean, it's not it's not difficult to pick. Right, unless you only want to look at one aspect of the person, which is the irritable bowel, and not look at the emotional side, mm-hmm. because then you miss what is really important. Mm-hmm. And you're just treating a physical condition without looking at the emotional side of it. Yeah, unfortunately, the the treatment doesn't work back the other way. If you work on the physical symptoms it doesn't really help you resolve the emotional problem that sits behind it that comes from your fear that sits behind that. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work back up the tree. Otherwise, um, the way that we treat things medically would be effective because we could treat the physical issue and it would work back up into the fear. Uh, Ideally, that would be great, but it doesn't work like that. So therefore, the treatment is essentially just helping someone to be a bit more comfortable with the symptoms they're having. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not even sure whether it actually goes totally away or even is, if it appears to be t- totally gone, whether the same emotional issues will not manifest as a different physical symptom. That's always the problem, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so then it, it finds another outlet. Yeah, which could be something that's far worse, like bowel cancer perhaps, and instead of an irritable bowel syndrome. And, and you do hear of that, that there is a link 
No, there is a link between the between two. The two so. it's, it's, it's the same issue. Yes. It's yeah. a very, very much the same issue. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I call it fear of life because it's about fear of living, mm-hmm. fear of experiencing life. So most people with bowel cancer, irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease have issues with living their life. They're fearful of it. I think we all, we've probably all met people that are like that or been in that space at some point yeah. where we're just fearful of everything. But you, again, not everybody who's fearful of life will necessarily manifest bowel cancer or Crohn's or mm-hmm. IBS. You know, it, it, it's not like an inevitable outcome. No. Because if you are aggressive in that, for instance, right, and I'm getting a bit more technical, I suppose, but if you are aggressive in the expression of this particular issue, then you will aggressively control everything around you in order not to be exposed to things that you cannot cope with, which means you have to dominate and control everybody, right? And those people are less likely, less likely, I say, but not unlikely, right, to um, to have these problems. Because they're, w- not, because they're not necessarily internalizing that fear of everything. They're externalizing it and, and causing issues for everybody else. They're going to have issues with the interactions with people rather than interactions within themselves. Like the way that they're expressing that behavior that they're exhibiting, they're probably going to have a lot of problems interacting with other people. And that's going to be the outcome rather than their irritable bowel syndrome potentially. Yeah. So, so, so theirs will be out there as a conflict. Yes. As an emotional conflict out there. Um, but they have an outlet by aggressively dealing with everybody mm-hmm. else and actually hold everybody else responsible. So they're not guilty of anything. It is other people are doing it to them. That is their, that is their perception. And they aggressively try and dominate or control situations and people in order for this not to happen to them. The people who are passive, however, and try to just avoid because they're just in fear, they're more likely to be susceptible to a physical representation of their fear. And that's how it could run in a family because you might end up with a, with a mother whose daughter is her daughter. They all have the same way and the same behaviours, strategic behaviours related to that particular fear as it's passed down where they internalise and avoid all confrontation because they can't cope with it and therefore the, the irritable bowel syndrome passes down through the generations in the same way. Yeah, th- yeah, not exactly in the same way again because in a family, and, and there's always complications, isn't there? Whenever you talk <laughs> about something, it always gets more complicated. In a family, of course, you have more than one child. And you find that um, within a family, each child will develop their own strategic behavior in order to deal with that issue. So some will adopt very um, aggressive behaviors in order to overcome it, and others will just be passive. Uh, others will shut themselves out and disconnect and be emotionally uh, uh, shut down in order not to be exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, look, there's a whole variety of possibilities of behavior possible. And that's one of the problems with that is, is that you get uh, confused by the fact that the behavior of the person doesn't seem to relate to the issue at hand. So you may think that an aggressive person who deals in a assertive way with their life doesn't have irritable bowel no, sorry, not irritable bowel, but doesn't have the issue of having fear of life 
right? And therefore is not susceptible to irritable bowel and all the other things we've talked about um, because they display this aggressive, strong demeanor in their behavior, right? And so we think, ah, oh, they're different. Mm. But the reality is the thing that drives that behavior is identical. The fear that sits behind the driving of that strategic behavior is it's exactly the same. the same. It's the same as the passive person yeah. who is more likely to contract the physical mm. expression of this particular emotional issue. I'd like to go back now. We mentioned epigenetics a little earlier, and I think epigenetics is basically uh, uh, science is now starting to link the things that we're talking about today. So I think that people, that science is starting to realize that you may have, when we do genetic testing, we may have markers and potential genetic expressions of cancers and irritable bowel syndrome and a million other things potentially sitting within our genetics, that those things are possible experiences that we might have or probable realities that we might experience. But what, what ends up creating your reality is which of those genes are expressed in which ways, and that is then related to how how you are in the world and the, the level of stress you've got from the level of fear that you're living within. Okay. First of all, I, I just want to say something else about epigenetics before we go on so it's clear. Epigenetics is a bit wider than just emotional influence. Epigenetics mm-hmm. as a terminology influence. also has can be the influence of chemicals in your environment, uh, radiation, mm-hmm. uh, all this sort of thing is part of the umbrella of epigenetics. So it's any physical, external... External, factors. emotional, energetic influence that um, uh, that a person can experience. So it changes right? the, the gene expression. So you have a set of genetics, but you have chromosomes for one side of it, for cancer and no cancer. And Look, there's, there's people that will live next to a power station... And some of those people will contract cancer of sorts and other people won't. People will live next to a highway, some in the past when people were using leaded petrol, and some would be affected and have um, all sorts of negative conditions, physical conditions, because of the leaded petrol and other people won't. So it is not like everybody exposed to one particular thing will, will have a particular outcome. So the individuality of the person and their state of being, which includes the state of mind, right, plays a huge part on how epigenetics as a, as a concept will affect how your genes will react and how your body as a consequence will react to the environment, whether it be emotional, physical or energetic. Yeah. I think, I think, I think science is definitely linked, say, uh, chronic stress. With the gene, the, the gene expression for disease, whatever that disease might be, say it's cancer or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a causal link. They realise that if people are in a situation where they're very stressed, um, they therefore there's a correlation between the people that live in that stress state yeah. and the expression of cancer in their genetics. But what that doesn't explain is why they're stressed in the first place. Exactly. The, the, the stress is kind of like this umbrella term that seems to satisfy the medical profession in some respects in the way they deal with things because they say things, you need to be less stressed. You need to do something about your stress. But I think that's, and a, that's it, an understanding it, it, that stress is a consequence of the things that you experience, but that's not the way it works. Like I think if you, if you think about stress is because of your experiences at work, yeah, then you see it as 
of because I work long hours and I deal with people. Sure, who, I, sure. I am therefore stressed. Like sure. it's some, it somehow comes back the other way. But in reality, you create those experiences for yourself. But the reason you're stressed is nothing to do with those experiences directly. You no, 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 you're right. It's you're because, right. It's because of your fears and yeah. insecurities but, and, but, and your belief about yourself that creates that stress. Exactly, exactly. But, yeah. but, but all I'm trying to say is that the medical profession just looks at stress as something that is an influence that is a product of your environment, mm. which the environment imposes on you, which you experience as stress. Some conditions, situations, uh demands that are placed in you, expectations placed on you, responsibilities that you have, uh, etc. they cause stress. And then the solution for stress is relaxation, <laughs> distraction. Was to avoid situations or that avoid cause stress. Yeah. yeah. So, so exactly as you're saying, what is not recognized is that you are the one that turns a situation that you experience into a stress situation because of your perception, which is created by who you believe yourself to be. So your sense of yourself. These are the belief systems, the fear-based belief systems that you've inherited from your parents. So again, we're looking at that. I, I was going to say earlier on, because we're talking about epigenetics and the wide range of, um, how can I say that, um, influences that covers like energetic, biochemical, or the physical environment, or uh, emotional. But I'm going to stick my neck out and say that even how the other two, energetics and um, biochemical aspects influence you is largely a product of how you are emotional as an emotional human being, what your belief systems are, how much fear you carry. Because fear will will just not make you emotionally vulnerable. It will create physical vulnerability. But also, I think if you believe, as we do, and as we've spoken about on the show before, that you create your own reality, therefore, the situation whereby you were exposed to those chemicals was something that you created. You've entered it, yeah. It, if, if you go very, very deeply into creating reality, and we should do that on a podcast, right? We, we should another, talk another about level, this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Um You will see that that there is no accident. There are no... Uh, misfortunes, there are no, there's no such thing. Uh, because if you, if you take everything into account, then it always finishes up with you. You always become the responsible person. You always, and in every situation you can think of, um, it's just understanding it, seeing it and recognizing it that makes you accept that. But as long as you cannot see the links, and you cannot see how we are connected to everything, you will, like, you will likely see yourself as a victim or not responsible or not accountable for the experiences that you have. So a vic- you mentioned before people living near power lines. Well, if there's a clear choice involved in people choosing to buy a house near the, or rent a house near the power lines in the first place. Yeah, but like, like I wouldn't. Like, and, and I wouldn't either. So therefore, I guess... There is always a choice and a direction involved that involves the individual choosing to to be in that situation. Somewhere along the line, they've chosen to be in that situation. Subconsciously, they expose themselves to this kind of destructive force because of destructive forces that exist with them on an emotional level. Within them, yes. Yeah. It's an externalization um, which is mirroring their internal conflict. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. 
Yeah, it's, it's hard to be innocent in life. <laughs> it's extremely difficult. Only children up until the age of about 8 to 10 can be considered to be innocent. Mm. And by innocent, you mean not, not wholly responsible for their, their experiences. Yeah, you can't say they're directly responsible for the experiences they're having. Right. But after that, you are. Yeah. But we don't know what the prior choice is all about, so they could well be. <laughs> if, we, if we understood the prior choices, how we come into this life, how we choose our parents, why we choose the sort of parents that we have, if we understood all that, um, and I'm happy to venture in this one time in another conversation, um, but if you understood that more completely, we would understand that life is just completely our choice completely and our therefore choice. our responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that life is not, in, in the final analysis, life is just an experience that the, your spirit is having and that your spirit exists beyond this physical life. So nobody dies. In no, the real no, sense, nobody's consciousness dies. It's your existence is never terminated. You will always be conscious. You will always be you. You will always be yourself. You always retain your authenticity and your uniqueness and what that represents to you as an ex personal experience of yourself. So the, the challenge in this physical existence that we're part of now is to strip back the layers of things that are not you, that are, that are fear-based, and get to that, that core self that is indestructible. Absolutely, but where where it becomes really significant to really be more conscious of this is is about what we've been talking about today, is that the emotional genetic transference of emotional issues from generation to generation can only be stopped by you. You are the one, if you like. You are the one to stop it. It is your, I could say, almost responsibility to look at yourself it's very empowering. Change yourself. Release your fears by understanding them and knowing how to deal with them. It is about releasing them, not about getting new strategies, right? This is not what this is about. This is about changing who you are, not what you do. Yeah, coping and avoiding strategies uh, are unacceptable. Unacceptable. They're not going to get you anywhere. But it, it can stop with you. If you make the determination and make the choice to accept the responsibility for your life, for the way you are, and then start become, becoming introspective, start looking at yourself with clarity, see your parents with clarity, their behavior. You, there's no need to judge them because they were raised by their parents and they probably didn't have any say in that. So there's no need to judge them or to dismiss them or to look down on them. Just be objective in what you see and learn from what you see to look inside yourself and know what is there. And then when you understand your own fears, and you transcend those fears, then you can start being the one where it stops, that you no longer carry forward this emotional genetics to your children and in your relationship. Because don't forget that if you have issues, you will choose a partner who's a counterpart for your issues. Mm. So it's not just about children. It's about who you choose to have children with. That's right. So it, 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 it's not simply um, finding the right partner. You've got to be the right you in and order to right, find the, the right, right partner. And, and the right partner will be attracted to the right you. Yes. Exactly. In the same way, the wrong partner is attracted to the fearful you. Yes. 
And I, and I think the if I like to look at the, the wider implications of what we're talking about today, and that is that if we lived in a world where people were working through their fears and insecurities in this generation, then the next generation is going to have far less disease. Physical. Physical yeah. disease. Well, they're going to have less fear, which is a great thing to start with, and less conflict in the world, but it also is going to be less disease. As an automatic consequence. As a result. Yeah. And that's the big picture of what we're talking about today, really. Because it, as fear disappears, we'll start to make different decisions about everything. About everything. And it might, it, it might seem that we talk about personal relationships here, but fear influences um, everything in life from um, your personal relationships to the stock market to whether we have an army or not to building weapons, to solving economic problems. It extends into a million-plus people sitting in the middle of Africa somewhere in the desert in camps, and we don't know what to do with them. I would even go so far as to say it influences the global weather, but that's probably stepping into another realm of discussion. <laughs> yeah, but that's dead. But if we could just, you know, live... Find the find or believe or understand that the absence of fear is what will give us a better world, not better economic decisions, a stronger stock market. Um, these things seem to be the immediate needs, but ultimately they won't give us a better world. Well, the, 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 those things you mentioned, better political decisions and an improved stock market, are the outcomes of a world with less fear well i think because people will make better decisions because that yeah. generation will have better politicians and you know like it'll, it will just grow on itself yeah our politicians are generally people who have certain ambitions about things but they're not necessarily the wisest people in the world the smartest people in the world and the mostly most sophisticated people in the world that's not why they're chosen they're chosen by people and now we're going in a different realm but <laughs> <laughs> when when fear becomes um, the reason why you choose and you want to transfer the responsibility for your life to other people, then you always make the wrong choice on what person to lead you. Mm. Yeah. You always, because fear makes bad decisions. It's very similar to the, what you mentioned about the way that you attract a partner into your life. It's exactly the same way. Mm. I mean, we, we can continue to complain about our politicians, but we put them there, yep. you know, and, uh, the political systems and structures that are in place now, I don't know how we would start to overhaul them, but we need to be looking for the people. If we were without fear, we would look for, we would vote in people without fear. So, I mean, this is a key theme in your book. It might even be the tagline. Um, the book is about being and not doing. So in this instance, instance then there isn't, there isn't things to check off and do in terms of political system, but if we were all in a space where we had less fear, we were being someone different, we were being a unique and authentic self, the systems would tumble and change to suit. Automatically. Automatically. So automatically it's not about, it's because, doing anything in sp specifically. Because if you're without fear, then you recognise somebody with fear. And you would never give a person with fear the responsibilities that a politician has <laughs> because you would get bad outcomes. So you wouldn't look for that person. You would recognise their fears. Anyway, this is a whole different thing yeah, to, yeah, to epigenetics and emotional genetics. Well, I might I might just quickly summarise some of the things we talked about today uh, and then get some wrap-up comments from you, Rudy. So we talked about 
emotional genetics and what that means. We talked about the link between genetic and physical illness and and the interactions and relationships with the family members and the different generations and the different yeah. things. Uh, and we talked about epigenetics being an external uh, expression influence over our genes and how emotions are and fears and insecurities are at the root cause of epigenetics mm-hmm. in, our, in, in our understanding of it. Um, and all that, of course, is tied to emotional expression. And we talked, I mean, we talked very specifically about irritable bowel syndrome, but I think this applies to, and we did mention cancer. I think I, I, I dealt with asthma as a child, and I think that's something that tends to run in families as well. That, that type of thing that is, doesn't, science really hasn't got a, a cause for it. You know, it, it's something that exists and they can say, yes, you have asthma, but they can't really say why you have asthma. And they, It usually happens with children who feel very restricted mm. emotionally and physically, who, who are uh, hovered over, if you like. You know, we talk about helicopter parents, but you can emotionally hover over a child mm-hmm. and um, restrict its free expression. And I think that can cause mm. asthma. And you, you did mention, of course, depression and, and mental illness is definitely uh, something that you clearly comes from your fears and clearly works down through generations. Um, you know, often children of parents who had depression have depression themselves. It's very yeah. common. Um, so there's lots of examples of this that we use the irritable bowel syndrome very extensively there, but this is related to any number of... Any of number of things, things. any number of, of fears and in- insecurities some of them seem like um minor in the adults but can be major for the child mm. uh it it is um if i was looking at anybody with a physical problem i would look at their emotional profile first yeah because that will give me the answer why the physical problem is there that gives you the why that yeah. gives me the why and i need to have a why in order to know what to do with that yeah i mean i have actually I can I could give examples. It's probably a bit late in this, but I could give examples how I have solved physical problems for people by dealing with their emotional issues. Um, as much as a like somebody came in with a I won't go too much into the story, but came in with a locked up right shoulder, um, had been to physiotherapy, cortisone injections, done the whole trip for three months, and uh, in desperation came to me, um, and I said to him, well. If you allow me to do it my way, we can see we can get a result. And it turned out to be an emotional issue to do with the fear of not being enough. And um, the fear was that he would, was, I can't explain it in detail because it would give too much away about the person, but he basically felt he needed to do something to honor um, uh, the death of his father and to honor his father. And to do that, he he had to use his body, he had to show physical performance, and um, he was fearful that initiating that, making the choice of committing himself, in doing that he would not be enough. He would disappoint his father and let him down. So his shoulder locked up in order, because that's the initiating side of the body. Mm, the right side. The right side, mm, yeah. Mm. And so it locked up and, and froze and he couldn't lift his arm and he couldn't do what he had to do in order to be able to to meet that particular expectation. And so I worked with him and um, next time I saw him, he just stood with a big smile in front of me and, and lifted his arm up and rotated. He said, he said to me, I don't know how you did it, but it's amazing. And that's 
that's because it was an emotional thing that locked up his body, had nothing to do with his physical body and, at all. And, in the and, real sense. and you dealt with the why. I dealt with the why mm. without dealing with anything physical, really. No. I mean, it pushed a bit on his muscles because there was a lot of tension there, but that's not what released it. The physio had been at it mm. for a number of weeks without any results. So, well, because um, the body has a huge capacity to heal itself, but also has the capacity to continue to express the um, negative um, emotional issues through a physical problem, regardless of treatment. So the body can reject or accept treatment and has a huge innate internal capacity for healing. It yeah. doesn't really require treatment. It just needs no, no external influences over that. And to have the, the reason, the why, dealt with. with. Dealt with. Yeah, obviously, the reason was mattered a great deal to him and it was um, – because of the legacy of his father um, was was something that he experienced with a very high level of intensity. Mm. And he felt there was a huge expectation that he had to meet and he felt not up to the expectation. So so we're going to finish it there, but I think that is a perfect closeout to our discussion because even a, a seemingly uh, very specific thing like a shoulder injury is still related to a relationship that you have with your parents. Yeah. So this is the perfect example we're talking about here that ties that right in because those emotional genetics could be as simple as um, your back's out, your shoulder's out, mm. you, you've got you know um, sore wisdom teeth or whatever the the acute physical issue is can still be potentially traced back to those links with your parents. And and for all intents and purposes, he's doing something positive. Yes. Like and 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 you wouldn't think that there was an issue because he's doing such a wonderful thing. Mm. Do, do you understand? Yes. So he 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 would not be seen as having an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't get seen as a as a negative experience. Yeah, and that therefore you don't necessarily look to link the experience with the injury. Exactly, because you think it's a positive experience and the injury is negative. Therefore, they're yeah. not they're not connected, but they could no. be. So you think the injury is holding him back to achieve something that he wants to experience emotionally? Well, it's actually his emotions are holding him back because of the physical experience that it creates, the physical problem that it creates. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you again very much for your for your wisdom, Rudy. My pleasure. Um, and if everyone's anyone's looking for us, they can uh, they can find us on on Facebook. Core Core Truth Podcast is our Facebook page. Uh, just go in there and, and like some of our things. Share it with you if you like our podcast. Share it with your uh, with your friends and family. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rudy. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk to you again. See you next time. And that was it.